You've arrived at episode 237. And this one is going to where the food comes from. No, not the fridge, the farm, but more specifically, the soil. I know the idea of farming and dirt might not relate to everyone, but if you're here, then you care about health and wellness on some level. And with the last 100 years of industrialization and commercialization of the agricultural sector, it has caused food and nutrition quality to go through the floor whilst obesity, disease and mental health problems have skyrocketed. And so in order to fix the health and disease problems that you or your family might face, we have to go to the source. And the only way we can successfully do that is by driving the focus of the big dogs upstairs by you using your knowledge and your buying power to guide them. And so on this episode, we round out and connect a lot of things in the health world and the farming world, like how regenerative farming can solve sugar addiction, how food waste is a big problem for carbon dumping, and how you can start using your waste at home, even in the city, for good, how to change your shopping habits and chat with farmers themselves, allowing you to become food and farm literate. We also go into how damaged and broken food strengthens your immune system and why you, the individual, are the driving force behind all of this actually changing. So much goodness in this episode that everybody needs to hear in order for us to have a better planet and a better world. So let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? You're back on another earth-shattering episode of what has become just quietly something quite epic. So thank you for being a part of that. Now, in 2023, it's my mission to coach 500 people to stop the binge eating and savage self-talk cycle so they can lose weight whilst feeling in control and without restriction along the way. And although we talk a lot about mothers and women, Yes, fellas, it's for you too. So don't hesitate in reaching out if you're feeling ready, willing, and committed to start making change in this area. The thing is, though, in order to be able to continue to support people to get healthy and get well, we truly need healthy and nutritious food. And as we know, the food system is becoming increasingly more damaging and more toxic to the human body. And so what needs to happen is to turn this all around is what we need to do is go back to the roots. And I literally mean the roots because the roots of plants sit in the soil and the health of the soil directly reflects the quality of both plant and animal nutrition that we as humans eat. That's why I've got this absolute legend back on the show for the second time, good mate of mine, Regen Ray. Ray was first on episode 151 explaining all about uh, what regenerative farming is. Now, who is Regen Ray? Who is Ray Miladoni? So Regen Ray is a soil lover, fully committed to the development of regenerative farming models in Australia and across the world. He's been partnered with Farming Secrets to take their business into the next generation of online learning, launching the Soil Learning Center during the pandemic. He specializes in creating educational programs all about soil and how acting on that information will improve farming output improves native ecosystems, positively impacts the food industry, and improves the health and nutrition of you and your kids. He also has a fantastic podcast of his own called Secrets of the Soil, which is one of the few shows that I actually do listen to on a regular basis, and definitely recommend that you head over and check that out when you're done here. Ray, my man, welcome to the show. What's been going on? Hey, Maddie, thank you so much. And hey there, soil lovers and uh, healthy friends. I can't wait to unpack what we're going to chat about today. I've been really good. Keeping, uh, keeping alive. 
I'm glad to hear that. Unfortunately, our internet connection has not been great. We're giving this a go for the second time today. So That's okay. um, I'm appreciative of your patience. But um, what's been going on in the world of regenerative farming that we need to talk about? Oh, there's so much to unpack and uh, to dig deeper into. Uh, you know, the world has uh, definitely caught on to this buzzword of regenerative agriculture. I'm seeing it popping up in movies and, uh, you know, Joe Rogan has guests that are all talking about regenerative uh, farming and uh, and you know, going down to soil health and uh, the nutritional density of food is really being explored as well. People are inventing new new devices and apps and and it's really becoming top of mind. You know, as we moving into a world where food is becoming more scarce, then I think the quality of the food that we have access to really uh, matters. So, you know, a world where we don't buy by the kilo, maybe by the nutrition density and quality is the, the future where we move into. Do you think that creates the same challenge we've got now? Because the more nutrition in something, the more expensive it would be, right? And so only the wealthy can access it. But I guess it has a, a sort of a downstream effect of turning all of the food, all of the food in this, the ecosystem becomes healthier anyway. Yeah, I think that the marketing world of supply and demand is always true. You know, you think there's like really bad food at the moment that's really expensive. We're probably all feeling the pinch at the counter, at the mm. checkout these days where everything's gone up. Um, it doesn't matter if it's healthy or super ultra processed. It's it's all on the rise. Um, so I think if we are going to have to be more selective with the dollars, we then need to make sure that we're spending it on quality food. Um, you know where the nutrition density is there, where it actually really fuels us, and and it's not just food for the fact that someone told us that we need a snack and eat three times a day. You know, so really eating that one wholesome nutrient food and. And, and being more thoughtful of um, how those calories and nutrients uh, help us survive and thrive, really, at the end of the day. Well, on the other side of that kind of conversation, too, is that a lot of people assume that being healthy or eating sort of a whole real food diet, which has got meat and vegetables and fruits and nuts and seeds, is going to be more expensive. And I think that it is on the front end. But I've, mm. got, I've had a number of clients say in their testimonials, that they thought it was going to be more expensive, but the fact that they were eating correctly and we got them to a place where they removed their snacking and you know a lot of the bag, a box or a can type foods is that sure, it was more expensive on the front end to buy good quality food, but the lack of hunger that they would have filled with going to the cafe at lunch or going you know to the, to the milk bar or down the road to 7-Eleven was where they actually ended up saving the money. Yeah, 100% because then we feel more full and satisfied and... Um... We don't have those cravings. We don't have those energy drops. You know, go, you know, having a sugar crash and then craving some food, um, craving some food, and then realizing that you're making bad choices because it's impulse. It, it definitely does add up. So having a pantry that's full of wholesome food, um, ready to go, uh, is definitely the trick. You know, if your food is detoxed and uh, if your pantry is detoxed and ready with healthy foods, then you're always going to make really good choices. Oh, that word detox. I want to latch onto that word. Um, so, in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, just in a curious way, which is like, because yeah, yeah. I, I think about the regenerative farming model and I think about the conventional farming model. Um, and obviously, you know, blaming the farmer is a terrible idea because the farmer's just trying to survive. He's in a super controlled environment, economically speaking, for, you know, the yep. big seed companies and, the, and that type of thing. But the transition from conventional farming to maybe regen biodynamic farming, like what does need to be detoxed and, and what does need to change in that transition so that I guess the human on the end is detoxed? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, Maddie, it's all about mindset. <laughs> we need to change our my, our paradigms, you know, I guess. It's because this is the dilemma that I've seen working with farmers and uh, people in this space. Everyone's looking for like the how, you know, how do we do this and uh, what's the next, you know, secret magic source system that's going to help us have greener plants and bigger fruits and things like that. But I think it goes deeper to that, to like the why and the values. And I'm starting to see a big trend of this happening now where, um, you know, for instance, there's a there's a farmer at the moment going a little bit viral on TikTok and they run a, a butchery that's self-serve 24 hours, but that you can only get access to this butchery that's self-served, like a human vending machine is what he referred it to, um, if you go on a farm tour. So that's the condition of being able to buy his produce is that you need to go and experience their farm. You get to um, um, understand their values, their principles. And then if you feel that it's an alignment and you want to support this type of model, then you get a special pin to access this building where you can go and buy your own, your own meat 24-7. And so I think we're going to move more into those models where there's a bit of a condition to, uh, to buy and it's to be value aligned. And I think that's why, you know, I think when we start putting more of a demand to the supermarkets, chains that we want better quality food, then we'll see the change. You know, most farmers want to grow the, the most amazing food ever. They just want to make sure that there's a demand for it. And when they signed contracts 10 years ago that they're going to provide big corporation X amount of carrots that are this size and this color and this profile, you know, they're kind of locked into that contract whether they grow the food or not. And that's what a lot of people don't understand that, you know, the big food industry is basically lots of contracts and you know, the, they, the supermarkets would rather dump the food that's deemed unedible um, than feed homeless people. And that's the system that, you know, we're kind of supporting every time we go there and, and exchange our dollars for, for that kind of system. And yes, the odd bunch came out and, we, you know, we've seen things, you know, improve, but I've seen a lot of farmers forced to dump food onto the ground, not even feed other animals just because it's out of contract requirements, you know. So we need to demand a better quality system up the chain. And I definitely think it starts with people who have the be- best buying power. And that's, you know, us as going, you know, to, to suit farmers markets and shopping centers and, and uh, retail. I really like that model. And I actually engaged with a business recently as a customer um, of which they, their policy is that you actually can't refer anybody to their service until you've had your experience in their business. Um, and, and it's the same thing so that they can make sure that everybody is value aligned. Everyone's on the same page. They're bringing the right people and intentions into their world and obviously allowing people to walk back into the world to spread that in the right way. And I really, really love that model. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, is, are more of these farms kind of popping up? Is this like becoming a trend? Yeah, well, I think a trend, um, the whole 24 hour self-serve thing is probably a little bit more niche, but I think we'll probably go there as, um, AI and automation takes over the world. But, Mm -hmm. um, we, the value alignment definitely, because what happened during a pandemic is a lot of the farmers had no way of, um, moving their produce around. So they had to really innovate. Another group that's quite big, um, open food network. It's basically a a web platform that helps farmers sell Mm -hmm. their produce online. And then you can also explore things as like co-ops where farmers will get together and sell all their food under like one umbrella. So then that way, you know, they don't need to worry about doing all the, you know, instead of having 50 farmers with 50 websites trying to do e-commerce online, it's like, let's outsource the e-commerce or the pickup points to a co-op and we just provide 
the food to those co-ops. Um, so those things are definitely on the rise. And during the pandemic, a lot more people discovered co-ops and food delivery boxes that are directly from the farmer to your door. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think more people were open and accepting of this kind of new model moving forward um, and, 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 and really realizing that there's a story behind the food, not just a carrot. You know, it's Bill and Mary's farm that they've had for six generations. They've got a pet dog and, you know, really that storytelling to understand who your farmer is and that they're biodynamic growers and they do ABC on their farm in order to make sure that, you know, the food is wholesome and and nourishing. Then that's really what people are then paying for. And I feel like when you get food that has such high intention of wanting to nourish you, you, you're right. You know, it's just a fake front end fee in the back end. It's much more rewarding and you eat less of it because it fills you quicker. It lasts longer. So you've got less waste. There's just so many positives that it ends up saving you lots of money. <laughs> if money's your metric, you know? Well, totally. And I guess as you, as you touched on it, this, this chapter of history seems to be getting tighter and tighter for people economically. And so, mm. um, it, and it's interesting too, the, the definitions of unedible, um, in some of those contracts, it's like not even remotely unedible. <laughs> it, it takes a lot for a carrot to be unedible. Um, and even the odd bunch isn't that odd. I know no, growing no. up, like I growing up, yeah, the carrots that we would pull out of the ground and my mum and dad have always grown fruit and veggies at home. And there's almost like a little orchard now that, you know, that's been growing for 25 years. Um, and yeah, the carrots don't look anything like the odd bunch. Mm, yeah. <laughs> They're way, way weirder than uh, the odd bunch. <laughs> yeah, but even the fact that it deemed unedible and it can't even go to livestock and stuff, like it's just it's just crazy, you know, that you need to basically, you know, and there's been photos where people have been dumping avocados or they're like burning fields of wheat. Like they ha- you have to prove that it's been destroyed. And oh. sometimes it even ends up in landfill. And then that's like dumping food in landfill is more of a methane problem than a lot of the cattle stats that we see out in the marketplace, you know? And so if people only looked at the other side of the coin of the amount of food scrap that goes into landfill and -hmm. some of these farmers need to destroy their produce and dump it into landfill, there's so many more innovative ways or things that we could do. Even taking it to a compost facility would be more beneficial uh, where Mm -hmm. it's managed, you know, de- decomposition, um, managed and, and using, you know, worms and, and other things to break that down into organic matter that then's put back into the system rather than dumping it into landfill or into open fields and just kind of letting it rot and methane gas, you know, out. So food waste is a much bigger problem that we should be focusing on from a methane point of view. Uh, it reminds me of when I was about 17, 17 18, um, I worked at Woolworths and when we chucked the produce and stuff and the bakery items into the bin out the back, we had to spray a chemical on them so that, um, you know, homeless people and, and whatnot could not take them out of the bin. Like they would wow. get sick, you know, and get really, really unwell. And it's like, that's just, you know, that's tyranny at its best, right? Yeah. Yeah. Can't sell it. No one can have it, you know. Yeah. No profits attached to it. Yeah. It's such a broken system. The food waste. Um, you know, is is a big big problem. I went and visited a facility recently that's actually trying to help with the food waste problem because a lot of the things that people don't know as well is that like if there's food remains around like a plastic packaging that is recyclable, it normally gets rejected because it's got too much food waste around it. Now, some of the facilities yeah. are better, but what these companies doing is they've got like a fly and a larvae and it eats all the food, organic matter off the plastic. So then that way all the plastic can be more recycled. 
you know, so it's integrating these kind of natural systems. Like this bug has existed for centuries that eats organic food off packaging or not off packaging, but just eats organic food. And these companies realize that you can put this in to um, a, a recycling plant and get more plastic recyclable than what, you know, the end goal. Because a lot of the plastic just ends up in landfill, even though we put it in the right bin, you know, because it's contaminated or it's got too much water in it. or it's, yeah. you know, so, so a lot of it does get rejected and then it gets sold overseas. So then they do something else with it over there. So I really like that we've ended up at food waste because I'm assuming that the food waste is highest in the most privileged countries, I would imagine, or at least approximately like America or the USA, Australia. And so I know that you and I on the back end, when we're talking about like how to communicate this information to different audiences, I'm always really big on like, oh yeah, but how can we get it back to like the, you know, the average Aussie that lives in a populated area? And I think food waste is a really important place to start because we throw so much stuff out. Like it's just kind of accepted, you know, that like you scrape your plate into the bin, you know, at the mm. end of dinner, just irrelevant of what's on it. Uh, so where where can we begin to to not put this food back in the, you know, in these giant dumping grounds, uh, you know, or in a landfill that we could be using elsewhere? Yeah, there's so many fun things that you can do and very um, helps you be more connected with the amount of waste that is created. So there are a lot of in, in initiatives now. You can go to websites and buy things known as bakashi bins that sit on your, your counter and you pop your food and, and uh, even meat and so forth can go into bakashi bins and you get this little spray bottle that puts um, uh, 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 and like a, 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 it's a biostimulant. It's got like a bacteria and microbes in it that helps start the breakdown of the food. Mm-hmm. So that's the Bagashi bin kind of system. Then you can even get a worm farm. And if you've got kids, like having a worm farm and showing the fact that, you know, you peeled carrots or potatoes, even though I'd recommend keeping the skin on, but, you know, whatever food scraps you have, you uh, pop it into the worm farm and the kids can like interact with the worm farm and create casting. And you're basically making really, you know, nice soil with the, the remains and, and uh, you get to get worm juice so you can put onto your, your produce and stuff that you're growing or some people start selling the stuff. You can make like a little side business selling worm juice and, um, and worm poo. So, you know, that is really, really cool. There's like websites popping up now where you can find other people to dump your food waste at. So if you can't really start these things at your own backyard or you've got an apartment, you can go onto websites where other people will accept your food scraps um, and into their worm farm or into their compost heaps. Uh, and things like that. But, you know, buying, just reducing is probably the best thing you can do as well. Like learn how to, uh, you know, learn that if a potato starts sprouting, that it's still edible, you know, learn that, um, you, you know, I guess I grew up in in a culture where, you know, you got a plum and it had a little bit of a blemish on it. You just cut it off and you eat the rest of it. Where now mm-hmm. we're in a culture where it's like, oh, disgusting in the bin, you know, and the whole plum goes in the bin, Yeah, you know, um, so just learning that, you know, food that, you know, bad bananas can be turned into banana bread or something else, like everything has a second or third life, you know, and, you know, using that mentality and going, well, yeah, now I've gotten to this point where there is, you know, food that's going to go bad. What can I do with it? You know, bread pudding was really big after the war because people survived on bread. And then when it got old, you cut the mold off and whatever was still good, you turn into bread pudding. All those things are gone now, you know, half a loaf of bread, one bit of mold, the whole thing goes in the bin, you know, uh, yeah. which is fine, whatever you feel comfortable with from a food safety point of view. But I think we've lost the education and most things still pretty good. You know, cheese is covered in mold before it's, 
you know, cleaned off and waxed. So there is a lot of foods that go through a molding or aging process to actually, you know, meat curing is another one where a lot of the mold will get removed and, you know, now they use chemicals to stop it from molding anyway. But, you know, there is a natural world of fungi and bacteria that we should be engaging with and being connected with that is kind of being germy and dangerous and scary. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, 100%. Like, and that's the thing with like eating some of these foods. Sure, cut off the, the main culprit, but there's a part, and I'm not encouraging people to go out and eat mold. No, mold toxicity mold. Is, is a very, very problematic Absolutely. thing to have. But at the same time, it's just the whole microbiome immune system argument, which is, is, is that if we're not exposing our system to small amounts Agreed. of unhelpful bacteria or little toxins that occur naturally in nature – our immune system is not going to be primed in order to be able to respond to them. And like even broccoli, like broccoli actually um, causes the liver to create enzymes that fight cyanide poisoning. Um, And like all of these things that are built into nature that allow our body to create a defense system against different things. Just like you're saying, if we're cutting them off or throwing them away or the bruised plum or the bruised apple we're throwing away, then we're potentially missing out on some what we call hormetic stress, which is kind of like a good stress. Um, in exposing our system to actually sort of, you know, go to the gym and lift some weights and actually protect us. And, you know, no wonder the situations happen for people where they're exposed to a basic bacteria or a basic virus and they're absolutely floored by it because we've mm. been so sterile in our approach and we're not eating foods that are, you know, have little bits of imperfection in them in order to train our gut to actually strengthen itself to have an immune system that works. Yeah. Well, one of the best things you can do to get natural biome immunity to those things is, you know, picking a fruit off a tree and eating it directly, you know, and think about how, when was probably the last time any, like as a listener, when was the last time you picked a fruit actually off the tree and just kind of gave it a little quick rub and, and ate it, you know, that connectivity to the food system, there is so much, so many biomes and good bacteria and, and, you know, the, the world of the microbes is living on the surface of that fruit. Um, and even you touching it, there's already a transfer of some of those biomes onto your skin. Yeah. Um, and that psychological process of like breaking it off the tree and it has that little click sound and then you're eating it, like that, that is basically fantasy world for most people now, you know, where that used to be the norm, you know. And so that is, um, you know, being reconnected, going on these farm tours and picking fruit straight off the tree and being able to eat it, that is inoculating your biome. Um, to react to these these organisms and train your body to be more resilient and more resistant and, and higher immunity. We've lost all that because now everything's waxed and polished and sprayed and gassed. And that's what we're inoculating our body with rather than the natural world, you know. So that's that's worrying for me. But I love the fact that there are more farmers opening their farm gate and going, you know, come and see how I'm doing it. Um, do we align on values and principles? And if so, let's let's do business together. Um, and yes, it does take extra time. Um, but once you build those relationships, then, you know, they're kind of forever and you can, you know, there's even models now what's known as a community supported agriculture, where you actually give your money to the farmer before they even grow the food. So you get a percentage of what they grow rather than just, you know, kilos in a box. So there are a lot of models that listeners can listen to, um, and engage with to get better quality food and support a more, you know, uh, local uh, food system rather than the big ag 
extra well, miles. <laughs> I was just thinking that, as you said, the the fact that like it takes a little bit of effort or it takes a little bit more time in order to go about these sort of um, inclusive farming models as a, a consumer or as somebody that wants to collect food from these farmers. I was just thinking, you know, some people listening are possibly already in a place with their their family and themselves where they're suffering enough to understand the value of this stuff. Um, and I just want to like do a bit of a call out, which is like, don't wait a couple of generations until you've got mm. every disease known to man in your family line because we're eating such horrifically sterile, nutritionally deplete food. Like we need to move on this stuff now. Like we need to make sure that like things are already bad, like one in two mm. with cancer, one in four with diabetes. This is not the world that we have lived in before. And it's only getting worse if we don't start investing in these farming models, which themselves will take 10, 20, 30 years to come to, you know, big enough fruition that we all have access to this food. So, which sort of pairs nicely with the work that you've been doing lately and the conversations we've been having around, like, how do people get involved in farms like this? How can they, you know, put their their name in the hat and say, I want to be a part of this, or I want to be a financial contributor, or like, where do we start? Mm, great question. Lots of many options. <laughs> so, um, Open Food Networks is probably one of the ones that I always remember because easy. And that's a whole directory of farmers who are listing their products uh, on their um, farmers markets. You know, Google when your local farmer market is on. That, that's probably the best thing because you're literally walking down the road or down in the suburb. You're meeting other neighbors, people from your school communities, things like that. It's much more rewarding when you bump into someone you know at a community at a you know farmers market. So finding where your local farmers markets. Uh, are being held. And again, that's, you know, quick Google search. Uh, there's lots of directories. Um, exploring community-supported agriculture, also known as CSAs, that's a little bit more difficult. Um, I know some farmers have, you know, five to 10-year waiting lists for people to join their CSA. You know, wow. so uh, a, a butchery in, in Victoria has a 10-year waiting list for their meat, basically. Um, you know, so that's kind of like the demand that is on one side, but then they, they, they just can't deliver because they're small scale um, and so forth. So that's, that's another option. But really, it starts in your own backyard or on your balcony. If you can grow food, even if it's not successful, uh, just learning the, the art of growing food in your own backyard, there's just, you know, there's a lot of school programs now where kids are starting to grow food and they're, you know, cooking their own lunch. And I think it's awesome to see that happen and schools have a huge opportunity because they've got so much unused land. You know, mm. schools are just this big block. You know, there's a part, there's, you know, different zones and buildings and there's so much un- underutilized land. So, you know, being able to start growing programs in schools and teaching younger generations who then go home and share those stories with their parents and look, I, you know, I made, uh, you know, uh, broccoli and cauliflower, you know, whatever. And the parents are like, what, you ate broccoli? You know, because it's like they wouldn't eat it if it was just put on a plate, but the fact that they grew it and they picked it, they watered it, they nurtured it, there's such a better connection to that food that now it's not that they're eating yucky broccoli, they're eating something that they grew themselves and watched grow. And so if we can start that in our own backyard, and I purposely say balconies as well and little herb gardens, because it doesn't matter how much small of a footprint you have, doing something is better than nothing. You know, during the pandemic, I was in an apartment and I did a permaculture course just to challenge myself to go what could I do as a permaculture person in an apartment in a, in a level 21 of a building and it was lots that I could have done you know because it was mindset it was about decision making not necessarily having a plot of land so 
those are the things that I think people can do. Um, and just talk to the farmers, you know, how do you grow things like, you know, um, farmers love talking and yarning, especially on a fence post. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, at a farmer's market, you normally do have the farmers themselves, their family, they're selling the produce. So that's the best way that you can open a conversation and, and, um, and, and, and explore the way that they're farming. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. And like for, for complete novices that are like, how do I talk farming to a farmer? Like what are two or three question examples that you, you could give to people to be like, what's a good question to ask that's, you know, like novice level kind of conversation? Yeah, I, um, so I think finding out whether someone's like a first generation farmer or like they've got, you know, farming's been in their... Um, in their world for a longer time uh, is always interesting for me. And it's more for the opposite answer. So if someone said, oh, yeah, the farm's been in the, in a family for seven years, I'm like, you know, yeah, sorry, seven generations, like then I get a little bit more worried because I'm like those type of farmers tend to do things the way that their grandparents always did it and their, their parents did it. So they're not open to change? Less likely open for change because they're like, right. well, we've done this for seven generations. Why would we change something now? I'm not saying that's that's true for everyone. But it's the first generation farmers who have discovered that there's this amazing way of growing food that I find to be really exciting um, and just driven because they understand like the entrepreneurial spirit. They understand startup world. Um, They're kind of go-getters and they're just doing everything they can to improve the soil health and keep it covered and protected. And and, and so I just feel like there's a better buzz from those. Mm. But not saying that, you know, older generations don't change as well. It just takes a little bit longer. So once I know how long they've been farming for, um, then I kind of would want to know, like, what method of farming are they, are they, they partake in? Is it organic? Is it biodynamic? Is it, um, you know, because a lot of farmers, especially from a biodynamic point of view, they're embarrassed to say that because for many years they got a lot of, like, oh, you're that woo-woo hippie one putting horns <laughs> under the ground with, you know, sprinkling magic dust on your on your things. And it's like, they, they tend to not put it on their label, you know? So even if they are biodynamic farmers and things like that or organic and they're not certified, they might be a bit shy of, of putting it on the packaging. So asking those questions of like, you know, um, and the other thing as well is, do you have any photos of your farm? 
you know, I think that's really one that farmers get really excited about because they normally pull out the photo and they're like, look, this is the back paddock and this is when it flooded and this is how we recovered. And so then you start hearing the story and you think, wow, look at all the amount of work that went into getting it from that flooded field back to pr- production. Um, and so those type of questions, photos, what type of farming, how long you've been doing it, and don't dismiss young farmers as not being qualified enough. In fact, you need no qualification to become a farmer. You could wake up today and go, I'm going to go buy a thousand hectare land and I'm going to be a beef farmer. And you have zero experience and you're fully legally licensed to do so. Yet you can't get on, you can't even go up a ladder in an office without a ladder license. So go explain that. (laughs) That's good. That's good. I think those questions are really good. And as well, maybe for those that aren't sure or have seen it in the supermarket or at the market, where does, where does biodynamic and regenerative, where, where are they in the sort of hierarchy of, of oh. statuses for farms? Yeah. So probably no hierarchy, just want to um, just, yeah, maybe. Yeah. So th- everything works together. So they're probably more, I think biodynamics would sit if there was a spectrum between um, organics and regenerative. I think regenerative, oh, this I'm probably going to get grilled for this. <laughs> <laughs> Soundbite um, for TikTok. Yeah. Uh, don't grill me, fathers. I'm trying to help you. Um, I think, look, I think regenerative has gotten the buzzword and the greenwashing maybe in the marketing world um, mm-hmm. excited. You know, we're seeing regenerative all over the place now. Um, so I think regenerative means that to make a system better, we can be regenerative humans. We can have a regenerative workplace. You can have a regenerative bank account. Like the word regenerative means to make better or to repair. Yeah. So if we leave in a plot of land better than the way we found it, I feel like that's the pinnacle goal that we need to get to. The way that you get to the regenerative soil-focused kind of farming um, is via biodynamics and via uh, organics. I, I think everything has its place uh, and they all kind of work together. And if we nurture soil, actually another good question you can ask farmers is, do you know your soil organic matter? Like, do they know how much carbon is in their soil? If they're not doing soil tests um, and they don't know how their soils are performing, um, and, you know, th- that's, that's probably um, a way of knowing who's connected to the soil or not. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it shouldn't matter what type of farming you're doing. If we are soil stewards, we are looking after soil, that's probably the most important thing. Uh, all the rest of them are, are just labels that we've put to help understand. You know, you've even got syntropic farming, um, you know, there's so many buzzwords and we can get caught up on the label. But at the end of the day, if we're nurturing soil and soil is better than what it was 10 years ago, then that farmer's doing the right thing. Doesn't matter what they're doing above the ground. Well, and I guess the other thing to mention when we're talking about buzzwords for the people that are nowhere near farms and, and don't really do that kind of thing is that in the supermarket, your words like organic, biodynamic, natural, I haven't actually seen regenerative yet in a in a super mainstream supermarket, but those words are not truth. They are marketing words. And so it's really important to make sure that you flip the back of the packet over and read the information or Google the company and find out if it's actually a natural product or if it's actually organic or if it's actually biodynamic. Because in a supermarket setting where you can't actually talk to the person that works the land, uh, you can very easily be misled by these marketing terms that have very limited regulation around them and make a lot of people feel like they're making healthy, smart choices when it's basically just as good as chocolate when you look at the nutrition profile on the backside. So, yeah, I think that's really important to mention for, yeah, just 
seeing those buzzwords in the supermarket. I'm glad that we've gotten to that point though, because I think if we never got to consumer confusion, um, we wouldn't ask better questions. We'll just yeah, always trust the labeling. And I believe that we need to go low in order for us to then build up and go high. And so the fact that there is a label confusion and breakdown and you know uncertainty and distrust to all the branding and labeling, to me, that's a good thing because it now means that we've broken that system down to its stress point and now we can rebuild. Uh, and there are a lot of people trying to rebuild um, or to create regenerative certified. And I think that's a bit of a dangerous territory. We're just going to go back to the way we, we always went. Um, but I, I think training people, and I say training specifically because we come from a world where we are trained to just follow. Um, but if you can kind of get yourself to you know train the brain and, and get more connected to the food and ask better questions and um, go and experience the flavor difference between regeneratively, biodynamically, you know, beef to like what's in the, in in other mainstream outlets. Then you you'll see that they're worlds apart, um, and the you know the price disappears, the values disappears. Um, you know, yeah, it, it's it's just very wholesome. It's a different feeling. I know a lot of people who are even like moved from vegan diets back to animal uh, produce once they've seen how these animals are raised and how they play an important part in healing the landscape. You know, the natural world has animal integration and we need to accept that as one of the values that needs to exist because if we take the animal out, we the solution is synthetic chemicals and yeah. monoculture. And that is more damaging than rewarding for the zoomed out bigger picture side of things. And I may annoy a few people by saying that, but it's my truth and, you know, it's... Uh, and I think eventually you realize that it's everyone's truth because if we go down the other model, uh, it's dangerous. Yeah, oh, it's my truth too. Like, and I'm really passionate about talking about exactly what you're covering right there, which is that, I mean, not even plants themselves are vegan. <laughs> they require, you know, poop and they require the death of animal carcasses to fertilize the soil. Yep. And so it's like, you know, if we sit on our, sit all high and mighty on, we don't, have anything to do with animal death. And it's like, well, how did the soil get nutrient rich? <laughs> Animals died, right? And so that's what, and that's the kind of soil we need in order to, to create healthy plants for you to be able to be vegan. So yeah, we live in a world where, and I think as well, we, we forget we are animals. We think we're kind of like this totally removed idea of a, some kind of species that, that's the overlord of the earth, but we're actually just part of the ecosystem. We've just gone about the way that we run ourselves a little bit differently, and maybe that's due to brain size or consciousness or whatever. But Ego. we are part of the ecosystem. We are just another animal in the ecosystem. And mm. human death equally fertilizes the soil. And so it's like when you start realizing that you're not all high and mighty. You're just one animal, a part of the very vast ecosystem. I feel, for me at least, that it just, it really brings me back to earth, so to speak. <laughs> um, in the context of like, oh, we're all just animals. We all just look a little bit different and we all die. We all give the, the earth's, you know, energy and nutrients. And, and so, yeah, I think that, yeah, vegan diets, generally speaking, encourage a, a model of farming, which is not helpful to the earth, basically. Mate, if, if people would actually get off their voice boxes um, and go onto these farms that are monoculture, the amount of death that is actually there to yep. save 10 cattle, you're killing in monoculture, bugs disappear, worms disappear, bees disappear. Like there is so much death in the vegan model that's just hidden. Mm. 
hidden because the, the sword depletes long term. We will possibly cause extinction to ourselves because, as you said, we are part of that animal world going too deep down that way. Now, there needs to be a balance, and I agree. Beadlotting and giving animals grain that they're not even meant to eat, dangerous territory, stupid, broken. But it's our demand that shelves need to be stocked every time we walk into a supermarket that's caused that model. So if we were more in season and go, oh, there's no beef today and there's no chicken today and avocados don't grow in this season, if we were to educate ourselves that things have a season and a rhythm, then the system could naturalize itself. But if we're going to go into shops and be annoyed because there's no chicken today or there's no you know, plums and there's no this, that's what we've, we've created, this system where we're causing whatever synthetic stuff to make it grow out of season, hydroponics, not connected to the ground kind of stuff in order for the shelves to be full, you know. So we, we are part of the problem, but we are also very much part of the solution just by educating and understanding that thinking that we're going to save the world by not eating animals is, is dangerously going to kill more animals uh, because on these massive monocultures farms, there are no wildlife, there is no birds, there are no, there's nothing that screams life there. You know, it's all one color. Like you go into a forest, it's full of colors and sounds and bees and bugs and fungi and, and you know, moss. That's a thriving ecosystem. And so when we move more to models where there's biodiversity and everything's working together, man, some of the farms that I've been onto that are regenerative, they, they feel like an oasis. And you think, how can anyone feel like this is not a working system? You know, everyone's smiling, everyone's full of buzz, full of life. The farmers, you know, really connected spiritually to the land. They understand everything that's going on. And then you go into conventional farmers and it's all about how much kilos of chemical you're spraying and how much hours on the tractor and, you know, everything's like broken and not working and it's worlds apart. But unless you go on it and experience it, and you don't even have to go physically, like go onto YouTube and just Google, um, you, you know, search for farm tours. There's so many people who walk around with a camera and you can do a virtual farm tour. Like it's not the same, but definitely going to start planting the seed of like what the world looks like when it's regenerative and, 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 and healing rather than destructive. Yeah, I'm so on board with everything you say, which is why I love the work that you do. Um, and you, you mentioned before as well, like the flavor thing or people being annoyed about walking into a supermarket and the one thing that they like not being there. And I think that that's kind of often a missed part of the conversation from a nutritional standpoint. And I've come to discover this over the sort of, sort of in depth over the last, say, five years, doing a bunch of research into the last sort of hundred years of the development of farming and understanding that in order to produce, you know, the perfect carrot or the perfect capsicum or whatever it is, over that sort of generation or multiple generations, they've diluted the flavor in in plants and in healthy food and in the beef by not only feeding it stuff that it's not meant to eat, but by trying to make it physically bigger in weight because the economics of agriculture trade in weight. It's Mm. dollars per weight. And so in order to make those plants bigger, and you mentioned gassing before, uh, I've been to a friend's family farm and been in the the gas chambers where they put all the capsicums. They pick them when they're not ripe. They put them in the gas chambers and they come out about twice the size. Um, And so what this does is that, and this is related to what I do with emotional eating and sugar binges and that kind of thing, because we go towards these hyper palatable flavor, flavorful foods, because natural food, and it's often deemed as boring, it's actually not meant to be boring. 
because it's just been so heavily diluted that it lacks flavor. And a hundred years ago, the spice, herb and spice industry was was small, and it was like you just added a little bit of this, a little bit of rosemary to something, or a little bit of turmeric to something. And now we need copious amounts of those spices in order to actually give flavor to something that should naturally have an abundance of flavor. But we've diluted that flavor with genetically modifying things to make them grow bigger. And this is including animals. Chicken flavor has gone through the floor. It's now considered bland by itself. Once upon a time, it had loads of flavor in it. And you were encouraged to just add a bit of salt in most recipe books in the early 1900s. Yep. And so... I'm really passionate in the, the way we get off sugar addiction and emotional eating and that type of thing is to give people food sources from biodynamic regenerative farms because they are flavor dense. And the, a lot of the reasons we eat is because we have the privilege to be able to choose foods that we enjoy. Mm. Uh, and if we can actually find foods full of flavor that we absolutely love, then it, we're so much less likely to be like, oh, well, I'll have the Mars bar or I'll have the pizza because it's like actually this healthy salad with some chicken in it is so delicious. Agreed. And and you make a very good point with the whole flavor of something. I, I've witnessed people bite into a tomato that is like dynamically, um, sorry, biodynamically grown. And the initial response was, oh, my God, that's too rich. You know, like we've gone so far on the other side of that spectrum that when you do actually eat something that was grown the way it was meant to be without the gas in and, and, and lots of food have p- are picked unripe. And I just think the ripening process of food is when all the nutrition transfer happens. Yeah. And so we're taking, we're, we're basically stealing all that away from it and then gassing it to, to finish the process so it can be trucked across the country. But when people eat food that's grown properly, it's almost too rich for them because their mouth their the, the, their palate can't experience all those flavors, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's just crazy. And I interviewed a, a restaurant owner who runs a restaurant in Sydney that's all about you know sourcing from the farms, um, regenerative and sustainable farming practices, and doing a real paddock to plate program. And as a chef, he said, I worked in in restaurants where we would work really hard to make tomatoes taste like tomatoes, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's like when we've had to go and put all these like citric acids and things like that into a dish to make it taste like a tomato, how do we not realize that we're failed as a food system and go, this isn't working, (laughs) you know? So it's like, you know, and, you know, and, 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 and who does all the research about the food? Oh, the food industries. Are they motivated to help grow less and sell you better quality stuff? No, they're there to make more money. If, even if that means that they sell you a depleted tomato and then, you know, have all these other things that you need to add into them and like thickening agencies and, and gums just to give you the consistency of what a tomato should be because it's lacking all that naturally. It's like, oh my goodness, how, 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 how have we gotten here? <laughs> totally. Well, and, and from a nutritional therapy standpoint, like a lot of people sort of say, oh, you know, I should take supplements because you know, the food doesn't have the same kind of nutrition that it has in it. And sure, that's that's an, an option. But the supplements also have to be sourced from somewhere. Like that, mm. it doesn't just come out of space, you know, from Jupiter and just, you know, populate. We still have to farm often the ingredients in some way to extract those ingredients into the supplement for you to be able to take it. So it still comes from some kind of plant source or animal source which also we need to use more animals and more plants to make the supplement concentrated enough for you to use. So it's like, it's the same problem. It Mm. all comes back to the nutrient density on the farm. And plus, if you eat the actual food, it comes with all of the cofactors and the enzymes that you need to pull the nutrition out of that thing rather than having, you know, just 
a hyper-concentrated single nutrient that doesn't have all the cofactors it needs to be absorbed. Anyway, yeah. I'm going to get off my soapbox right now. No, you took the words right out of my mouth because that's it's, it's, it's the many parts that make the whole. You know, just taking the vitamin C out of an orange and saying, I'm having vitamin C, I don't need to eat oranges. Yeah. It's such a broken system because there's so many other components to the orange that yep. are complementary, you know. And I learned this when I did the um, keto diet in regards to, uh, you know, juices. Everyone who has juices are like, oh, look, I'm amazing. I'm having all these juices. You're basically drinking all the fructose without yeah. any of the fiber. And fiber and fructose talk to each other and work together, you know. Yep. And without the fiber, the fructose levels actually just peak your sugar levels. And you know more about this. But that blew my mind. And that's when I realized that you know, just juicing something and taking all the fiber out and getting left with the water and the fructose is more damaging to the body than just eating, you know, and what blew my mind is like, you can juice six apples and drink it all, but you could never eat six apples. So even just that in itself should be a statement of going, oh yeah, that makes sense. Because you need the whole, the many parts that make up the whole. And our food system is like that as well. You know, you need the, the, the ability to cook a meal that has many parts that make up the whole. Um, and you'll feel like you can eat a lot less and you'll feel full quicker when it's, um, you know, got that flavor and the aroma and, and all that uh, punchiness, as you were explaining before with the spices. You know. um, yeah. I, I watched an amazing thing on YouTube the other day about how they make Parmesan cheese. And it's like a lot of the stuff that's in Parmesan cheese is not actually cheese anymore. Yeah. You know, it's all these flaky things just to make it look and feel like Parmesan cheese and cheese flavoring. Well, there's a, there's a, like a, group of cheeses that are uh, in the shelf on the super mainstream supermarkets that have different names like craft singles that they're legally not allowed to call cheese because there's not enough cheese in it like yeah <laughs> it's like hang on isn't this being sold as cheese and you can't even call it cheese <laughs> but if it looks like cheese <laughs> it looks like cheese smells like but- cheese <laughs> It's not cheese. That, that's the thing, you know, like this is where consumer education and I say, you know, being a conscious consumer and a lot of people don't like the whole word of being a consumer. It's like, well, own it. Like you're either consuming or producing, you know, and so yeah. if you don't like it, let's start with that. Maybe we need to work through the fact that you're misleading yourself to think that you're not a consumer. Yeah. Um, but being a conscious consumer where you can go through the supermarket or go through a, 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 a um a, a farmer's market and, and, and be conscious about the way that things are produced and ask questions and, you know, um, has this got this additive or has this, you know, do you have this type of, you know, even asking farmers why they choose not to be certified organic, even though they are organic. And you realize yeah, right. that, you know, there's a lot of farmers who don't want to be certified organic because they believe, and they probably are, what the joke in the industry is like, more organic, where they're even better than organic and they don't want to limit themselves based on the labeling because right. then they can't do certain things because it's outside of the framework, um, you know. And so there are a lot of farmers out there that are growing better than some of these labeling and certification models, just that they choose to opt out of those programs because you've got to pay to play, you know. And some farmers don't want to spend thousands of dollars getting the tick um, that then actually limits what they can and can't do and what they can and can't say. So understanding that that's how the system works, then you can make better buying decisions. So Yeah. Man, love this conversation and I know that everybody's loving it too because people listening to this show obviously are on the same page. And so I just want to let everybody know Secrets of the Soil is Ray's podcast. Get over and check that out. It's amazing. Um, And where can everybody find you and all of your stuff online? So yeah, Secrets of the Soil podcast is the main thing to hang out with me. Um, I am in a process now of moving more into a system where I'm helping regenerative farmers. So Mm -hmm. if you are someone who is running a regenerative business or a business that leaves our 
planet better off than the way that we are, reach out. All my social links will, I'm sure, be around this video and audio. But um, I really want to work with farmers and and business owners who are regenerating our planet. So, uh, you know, I'm very good at marketing and business and operations. And so I want to really work with more people uh, at that level. I, I realized over the last few years that a lot of farmers have untapped potential in what they're trying to do. They just don't know how to market themselves. They're busy on the land. And so, you know, being able to be that bridge that helps people um, get their marketing in order, being able to, you know, reach more people, uh, set up e-commerce, all that kind of jazz, all the boring stuff that they don't want to do uh, that excites me. But it's not just farmers. You know, there's a lot of regenerative businesses out there that are supporting farmers, whether it be education or hosting events or running farm tours. I think all those businesses are really, really uh, exciting to hang out with more. Um, but um, yeah, the, the podcast has lots of conversations from, you know, growing in your, in your own backyard all the way up to like large scale farmers and a peek into the world of what that is. Yeah, amazing. And just as you mentioned, your links will be down in the show notes below. So for anybody that wants to get involved, which you absolutely should in Ray's work, head down there and click the links. And also, as was mentioned through the episode, you know, look into the open food network, look into food co-ops, look into ways that you can reduce your waste, your food waste, um, and start, I guess, if you've got kids too, educating your kids on where food really comes from by heading down to the local farmer's market and having conversations with real humans that work the land. So um, if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, a family member, anyone that you think needs to hear this stuff or wants to be a part of this healthy new world that we're creating here. Um, and be sure to tag us both on social media. So again, our links will be down in the show notes. Um, and to wrap up, Ray, what is one thing from all the stuff you've learned, learned about, what is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? It, it all starts with soil. Like we've spent way too long looking at deep oceans and you know, Mars and the moon and the sun, and we never stopped to just look to the power that's beneath our feet. And um, there is an amazing world of fungi and bacteria and mycelium network really working really, really hard to ensure that we thrive as, a ra- as an animal on this planet. And uh, it's about time that we started learning more about soil and appreciating its power. And so I encourage everyone to get out there and uh, explore the wonderful world of soil. And some amazing research is coming out with like, you know, antidepressant smells and fragrances and touching soil can really help reverse a lot of the damage that's happened, you know, earthy and being connected to the ground. There's, there's, there's so much that's um, been uncovered. And then the links between soil health and gut biome health is just mind-blowing as well. And so we're at the start of all this because at one point we thought we knew everything about soil. You just put a plant in and it grows. And now we're realizing that there's this whole world under there. And uh, it's very exciting to be uh, someone who gets the conversation started about soil. Amazing. Thanks so much for being here, man. I appreciate your time and I can't wait to get you back. Excellent. Can't wait again. Thanks, man. See you later. See everyone. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode.
Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.